Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I am Greta Johnson, and nobody else is here. But that's because Trisha and Peter and I recorded this episode live at an event at the Apple Store here in Chicago last week. We're going to play that conversation for you right now. But if you are one of those kinds of people who really loves a good conversation outline before we get started, you are welcome. Now that this whole damn show is over, we're going to talk about our feelings. We're going to do like a little emotional check-in. We'll talk about some of our favorite moments. We're also going to talk about the future of the books, if there are any books to speak of. And, of course, we will discuss how now we are going to fill that dragon-shaped hole in our hearts. Hello, nerds. This is exciting. I've never, <laughs> I've never worked retail before. So this is... All right, well, shall we get started? Let's do it. You're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And this, of course, is Peter Sagal. I am here for the last time. And it's sad. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I said this in, like, in the, the podcast for the third or fourth episode. I was like, I was ready to be done. Yeah. And, and that was part exhaustion. And that was also just sort it's of acceptance. It's hard work walking, watching television. It is. It's and tough. I mean, oh, it is thinking worth of noting. something funny to say about it. We <laughs> looked it up today, and bingeclock.com, which turns out is a website, says that all of Game of Thrones takes 72 hours and 34 minutes to watch. But if you rewatch it, like yeah. Peter and I, yeah. then, then, it's, then it's a whole up. life's work. <laughs> I think, honestly, what I find really exciting is that this show is over, but it's proven that people have an appetite for dragons, especially people who thought they might not be interested in sci-fi and fantasy. And I think, as we'll talk about later on, there are so many new, exciting things coming out that are so much more interesting when it comes to things like diversity and inclusion. And that's what I, like, I love that we've learned so much with Game of Thrones that we can, like, apply moving forward, and I think that's really cool. I think we'll get to this later, but it feels like one of the people who's definitely learned this is Amazon, because they have ordered up a whole slew of sort of classic and beloved sci-fi and fantasy series into television so they're trying to get in on this Game of Thrones sort of yeah. uh, totally. gravy train. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody is, right? Like, it was a huge, what, 19 million people watched the finale? Like, what do you do with that, you know? Somebody pointed out to me that that figure, 19 million, which is a record for HBO, is about a third of the number who watch a typical regular season football game. Yeah. So. We still have a ways to go. Uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, favorite moments? Oh my gosh, we want to do favorite moments of the whole series. I mean, should we, should we do season eight just to make it a little easier? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're here to wrap up the whole thing. We I, are. What most interests me, now that it's all over, is why did it happen? <laughs> and I don't mean, you know, why did they put on the TV show? Uh, what made it into this amazing cultural phenomena? Yeah. And th- have there been others? I mean, I missed out. Like, I was not a Seinfeld fan. I, would, I basically stopped watching television for the 90s. I don't remember what I did instead. So I missed out on Seinfeld. Um, I was kind of into the Sopranos. I was into the Sopranos when that happened. But even that didn't have this huge cultural thing. I mean, no. like, the New York Times, after every episode, the last season, had six different articles about it, speculating on this I mean, just the coffee cup thing had three articles. (laughs) And I just can't, I mean, so we all know that happened. You're all here on a beautiful Friday evening to listen to us talk about this TV show. I don't need to tell you this. What made it that? And and so here's the first question. When did it go from just another premium cable show to phenomenon? Was there a moment? Was there an episode? I think uh, I read something where the head of HBO recently was saying that early on, maybe in season one, there was a, a headline, something like, you know, this Game of Thrones is no Boardwalk Empire. Um, Meaning yeah, it wasn't I mean, as good as right, Boardwalk exactly. Empire. Yeah. Which, by first, the way, is a very fine TV show. Right, But, but like, I was never bestirred to do a podcast about it. The first moment. New York Times review that came out was like, oh yeah, no, it's fine, but don't bother. Do you know what's interesting? That whatever the reviewers were saying the show was renewed for a second season after the broadcast of the first episode. So HBO knew. 
whoever else did. So what one, was a lot of, one speculation might be the Red Wedding. Because I remember when the Red Wedding happened and everybody was posting those videos, the yeah, people who had the read reactions. the books and knew it was about to happen, just sort of sat there and videoed their friends watching it. <laughs> and that, I, I mean, it wasn't the first time beloved characters got killed, but it was like by that time enough people were watching it yeah. and it was so insanely bloody and unexpected that people were like, holy shit. <laughs> and... And, and, you know, if there's one, if, we, if you want to talk about a favorite moment, I was just thinking about it. One of them is not the Red Wedding. I think it would be a heartless thing to yeah, say that that's a favorite moment. Weird. But the fade to black slashes um, Catelyn's throat. She falls to the ground. Credits. That was spooky. <laughs> what about you, Trisha? I've been doing a rewatch alongside watching this last season. Yeah, and where, where are you in that I'm, right now? I'm partway through season five in the rewatch, so made pretty good progress, which season five actually is the first season we recapped together, yeah. right? So we've sort of caught up to yeah. that loop. Um, and I really love some of the early season one Varys and Littlefinger scheming stuff. You've I think always it's, liked it's, it's I love the scheming. I love the sort of people adjacent to power characters. I find them more interesting than the ones who have some birthright or think of themselves as the hero of the story. Um, I did notice that Peter Baelish's voice gets progressively raspier <laughs> as Littlefinger as this, I've been binge re- re-watching. Like, that was yeah, like, sort of making me laugh. Right before he was killed in season seven, if he had gone, ah, ah, and then talked in a totally normal <laughs> voice, don't kill me. He that just hadn't been cleared his throat in six years. Yeah, he yeah. was like, ah, ah, ah. By the time he ended, it was, ah, ah. I think the scene where Sansa uh, lies about how her aunt was killed to save Littlefinger and her from the Lords of the Vale is, the, I think, one of the, the greatest Sansa Stark moments of all time where she breaks down crying and says she's going to tell the truth, and then she tells a story that's just true enough but is actually to keep her and Littlefinger out of trouble. And then like, there's this moment where she's getting a hug and she just stares at Littlefinger like... I have learned how to play this game. Which she actually says it's to so him later good. on. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Greta? What is a favorite moment? I, that's a great segue, because I think my favorite is when we realize that Sansa and, Sansa and Arya have actually been working together and are ready to take Littlefinger down. I think it was so exciting to finally see people starting to come together towards the end of season seven. People had been in so many disparate locations for so long that actually getting everybody in the room was just so exciting, and especially seeing Arya come home, Did, I think. did you not have a favorite moment from any of the first six seasons? No, I did not. No. <laughs> All right, I, I think, mean, I if you will recall, Peter, I was going to stop watching after season four. I was over the show, and that just happened Why? to me. Why? Why were you over the I show? I just thought it was boring. I mean, I think I said that a lot while recapping season five. But you have more, like, nerd fantasy cred than anybody I know, right? Thank so you. So you've read every book and all this. All the books. All the books. You've read all the books. So why, after... So here's, like, the most successful fantasy TV show of all time. Why did you give up on it? It was... It felt mercilessly violent and not compelling enough to keep going with, you know? Like... I mean, I would always joke that I felt like with Game of Thrones, it was good if you could binge it because something was bound to happen if you watched three or four episodes in a row. Yeah. But I mean, as incremental TV, especially early on, I mean, that pacing was slow. Oh, there was those long you episodes, know? those long spate of episodes where it seemed like, oh, now we'll be at the wall for five minutes and we'll have one conversation and, yeah, and then we'll go to Marine and then was... we'll go back to King's Landing and then we'll go here. And it's like each story gets propelled like, for example, I've been rewatching, and I didn't realize this. At the end of season one, John goes with a ranging beyond the wall. By the end of season two, he's not back over it yeah, yet. Yeah, man. <laughs> and and, you know, and yeah. then they get into season... And so it takes, like, the entire part of, like, John going up in the wall with a greet and hanging out with Tormund. That's an entire season. Yeah. So, yes, it didn't, it didn't move at a lightning pace you in know? those days. And I think, especially those early days, that was also when I was enjoying shows like Scandal which had very fast plots and crazy shit happened all the time. And it was like, I don't know, I think partly too, it's just sort of what I wanted to spend my time doing was not watching people talk to each other on horses and then die eventually. (laughs) (laughs) That Uh, is what I wanted to be doing. I know. Why do you think then it became a global phenomenon? What was it about this show and not say Scandal? 
or broad, Boardwalk Empire, perfectly fine TV show. I don't know. I mean, I did. I was so I got to go on the BBC last week to talk about Game of Thrones. Oh, you did. Good yeah, for you. they did a segment about the petition that we talked about in last week's episode. Um, there was a petition online for competent showrunners to rewrite season eight, and so I was invited on to talk Which about that. Which is rude. It is. It's super rude, and it was. It was actually really great because I I was on the show with a woman from South Africa who has a recap, a Game of Thrones recap podcast, and a woman in Sweden who has a Game of Thrones recap podcast. And the BBC host asked them what they thought was so special about Game of Thrones, and the woman in Sweden said, well, it's tits and dragons. <laughs> and I just love that. I mean, I'm sure the nudity helped, right? Yeah, there's actually like a that video HBO of, treatment. Like, of Maisie Williams dancing around singing boobs and dragons, boobs yeah, and dragons. Yeah, it's real, you yeah. know? But I mean, I don't know. I like to think that what the TV show did was invite a lot of people who thought fantasy wasn't for them realize that you could have some of the richest, most fascinating characters in a world that also allows for dragons. I think too that the tipping point of cultural relevance is sort of like the FOMO moment, where if enough people in your office were chatting about it, then you figured what the heck. Um, and that that sort of snowballs and snowballs. And again, it's, you know, an HBO-length season of a show is short enough that to binge between the years of this show coming on, there were such short seasons with so much time in between, people had time to sort of accumulate year over year and be caught up. Is it also true that in the run of Game of Thrones, the last 10 years, sometime in the last three or four years is when it became possible to binge? With the I mean, because not when the Game of Thrones started, I don't even know if there was an online Netflix. Well, yeah, well, and even then, I mean, even within like the HBO platforms, HBO Now yeah. or HBO Go are only what two yeah. years old. So in order like to, you had to so, have in order, in order HBO. to catch up with something, I mean, for example, sure. I remember uh, I was late to Breaking Bad, and I caught up in the last season, and I loved it. But in order to catch up, I had to buy or borrow the DVDs. Oh, yeah, DVDs. Right? And there was that additional <laughs> level of expense that kept people from doing it. But as you point out, if like your office mate was really into Game of Thrones in season six, you could go home and if you had HBO, watch the whole thing and catch up, which probably also helped. So it may have been the first blockbuster of the bingeable streaming era. I think that's true. And I think also the cast is brilliant in this show. I think that... You know, we talk so much about Benioff and Weiss as the writers, and they've been getting so much of the heat and or praise for this final season, but the casting, the fact that all those child actors turned out to be as good as they are yeah. 10 years later, that's not a given. Yeah, I've always marveled about that They're in regard brilliant. to Harry Potter as well. Right. They didn't screw yeah. any of that up. But you're right. Although, you know what's funny, and I think about this preview too much. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. Everybody knows that what we saw, episode one... Winter is Coming, season one, was the second pilot. That Benioff and Weiss had shot a first pilot. They showed it to some friends of theirs. Their friends were like, this is terrible. Or the quote was, you have a serious problem. And so they went back to HBO and they said, hey, sorry, we need to do it again. And HBO said, well, we've already given you $11 million. Here's another seven. (laughs) Of course, it turned out to be a good investment. But what I think about is one of the things they did was they recast about half the principal roles. Uh, And we still don't know. I checked, because it's 2019, it's the internet, people have figured certain things out, Uh like you can find some names. And I think about those actors. Oh, also they fired, they brought in a different director. Uh, And I think about those actors and I think about that director who were on this thing. They had it. And then they were booted off. And for the last 10 years, they've watched these unknowns. Uh, it was, uh, was Emil Clark's first acting job, Isaac Hempstead Wright's first acting job, Maisie Williams' first acting job, uh, uh, probably the first acting job for... Um, One of the first Kit for Harrington John Bradley and Kit yeah, Harrington, exactly. too, yeah. among the first. And they're yeah. now well, international yeah. superstars. And somewhere there's a half dozen actors sitting in their house. Just, I don't know what they're thinking, but I feel bad for them, whoever they might be. I mean, the fact, too, that Sean Bean was one of the only super well-known actors in that first season, and then to have him offed in episode nine, you know? I think then everybody's like, what is this? Somebody, I think, found him and said, well, how do you feel about not being part of the show anymore? And he said, I feel fine. They paid me, and he had another beer, because that's (laughs) Sean Bean. What about, should we do least favorite moments? Least favorite moments. Least Go on, favorite? Greta. Clearly you want to do that. I 
don't necessarily. I'm at peace with this show. Really? At this point in time, yeah. yeah. See, one of my least favorite moments, of course, was one of your favorites with uh, Arya and Sansa. Oh, right. At the trial of Littlefinger. Because yeah. if you've heard the podcast, you know it's not because I didn't want them to get rid of Littlefinger. The it's because I thought that they cheated on the lead up. That they were scheming the whole time, but they didn't right. show us that. They showed us fighting. Yeah. So therefore, cheating. What, uh, what, I, I was thinking about this, and I think all of my favorite moments were the ones that were really great payoffs of stuff that had been built before. Oh, yeah. So one of my very favorites was something I just, I just flashed on. I realized how cool it was. In the sequence in which Arya is being chased by the waif, which I think lasts two episodes. And so oh. they're in the final thing, and she's wounded, and she runs away, and the waif is chasing her like the Terminator. Like, you know, Arya's running, and the waif's just walking. Ha ha, I got you. And... She gets back to the, her little hidey hole, like where she's been staying under in like some sort of little crypt. And the waif walks in, and Arya picks up her sword and goes whoosh, and whiffs out the candle, plunging it into dark. And you're like, oh yeah! Because of course you realize yes. she's blinded by the puzzle so of black and white. So she's well good at this. In the dark. Yes, I thought yeah. that was very cool. Anything that, they, that something was a huge payoff just made me happy. Like, we had been building up to this, and boom. So for me, that would then include, in that vein, Jamie knighting Brienne? Yes. Oh, Probably. Yeah. In the most yeah. recent it's, season? It, it, there's recency bias, but still, that was one of the great moments. And especially because, really in the again, in the rewatch, sort of in between the weeks, realizing that they had spent so much time together that I'd forgotten. Yeah. Because it was so long ago, and, you know, you kind of remember the big, gory moments from the show, but forget some of the smaller ones. I'd forgotten that he saved her life on multiple occasions, yes. including from a bear. Yes, and for some rapists and a bear. And also, and this was an interesting choice, that in the books, because their point of view, you get the interior thoughts of all the characters. So, for example, I believe at one point, Jamie in like either book two or book three, I think book three starts remembering what actually happened at the sack of King's Landing when he killed the Mad King. All right, well, what do you do? You have to have it in dialogue. Who does he tell that to? He tells it to Brienne. So they actually use that relationship to sort of bring out Jamie's character, which is why I think it was so affecting. Yeah, I'm still mad at Jamie though. Really? Oh, yeah. I think that relationship would have been so much more interesting if they had never had sex. Yeah, well, I think you we know? all agreed upon that. Like, Why I did think that that's bother kind of... us so much? Because we talked a little bit about we it. We did. Were other people bothered by that? That they, yeah, that they boned? Yeah, Like, I think it would yeah. have been even more meaningful if they had just been good friends. Yeah. And she had, you know, maybe tried to bring out the best in him, and he turned out to be the way he was, and that was fine, you know? I think it's... Maybe it's because... I'm going out on a limb here, but all of us are aware that on some level that you tell yourself you like somebody sometimes when all you really want to do is bone them. You know, we've all been there. Oh, wow, she's just such an amazing <laughs> conversationalist. And she also looks really good in that dress. And so... <laughs> oh, dear. Is this a... Yeah, is this a... Yeah. the ages, wrapped up in the body of a short, bald game show host... The point being... <laughs> they don't really deter him, but we have I to know, use them anyway. Oh, you see, because you use great. them too much. I no longer fear them. Yeah. I've become immune. Chance. I've evolved to become immune. <laughs> I'm a, You're I'm like a, a superbug. Exactly. I'm an antibiotic, uh, I'm an antibiotic like resistant germ. MRSA patriarchy? Exactly. The point is, is that when, they, it, when it turns out that they had like wanted to bone and wanted to do it the whole time, it kind of cheapened their regard for each right. other. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They could have just mutually respected each other and exactly. that would have been lovely. Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, it's... we didn't talk about this on the podcast, so I wanted to bring it oh, up. Oh, Brienne in the end we, of the show. When, when the we finale. did the last episode. We didn't talk about Brienne's entry into the White Book. Yes. Into the and Wikipedia of, of Westeros. Were, a lot of people were upset about that because they didn't like the fact that after he had, like, become revealed himself as a fuckboy... Thank you. ...that she was still affectionate and stood up for him and, and wrote down that nice thing about him when she should have realized that he wasn't good enough for her, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I actually kind of liked it. He's dead. That she wrote, yeah. There's I mean, nothing, I, I she's no vengeance fine. to be had. Why not forgive him? Yeah, but I, I, again, still think that scene would have been even better if, there was, if she didn't have to forgive him for being a fuckboy and just forgave him for being a complicated person who had a really weird relationship with his sister. 
Yeah. You know? It would, like, I, I think even, it would have been even lovelier. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe you're right. I think they had referenced that book and Jamie's lack of an entry in it so many times. It was one of the loose ends that they wrapped up in the finale that I wasn't really clamoring for, but it was nice to see. And I think that the last sentence, he died protecting his queen, was like Brienne's way of just paying respect to somebody who made a choice that she understood in her own way because she did very irrational things for duty all the time. To put it mildly. Um... When we're talking about favorite moments, we always have to remember anything with Diana Rigg. Yeah. With Olena Terrell. One of the things that I discovered uh, when I was a playwright and screenwriter, this was a long time ago, is the best characters are the ones who can say anything. Yeah. And the reason, it turns out that a lot of times, I did this once, the reason they can say anything is they're just old and they don't give a shit. Yeah. And she was the quintessence she of that character. She was so good. I the queen of her. thorns. So because we are not only at the end of season eight, but also the end of the whole damn show, something we've done in the past as we wrap up seasons is do superlatives for different characters, kind of yearbook style. It is yearbook season. Yeah, like, you know, most likely to succeed, best couple, biggest class clown. So we have each prepared our responses to some of these categories, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Should we do it? Yes. All right, we're starting with class clown. What do you got, Peter? I wrote it down. Uh, well, it's got to be Braun. Yeah. Yeah, Braun had more punchline. I mean, I don't think he ever said anything that wasn't leading up to a punchline. I actually went with Kyburn because I think he's the Ooh. weirdest guy That's in the whole Seven Kingdoms. So clowns in, like, the shiversy, creepy yeah, way. Yeah, because I'm a little afraid of yeah. clowns, so he's, I went with a real creep. Class. That's good. That's he's really the class good. clown, like, 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 Jeffrey Dahmer was the class clown. <laughs> but he's like the one who in, in science class would be doing something inappropriate yeah, with the Bunsen yeah, burner. Yeah. Okay. She's right. <laughs> I, I'm glad I didn't attend your high school. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, best couple, Trisha. Um, I went with my favorite bromance, so I went John and Tormund. Oh, that's beautiful. As like, as like a pair, as a duo? Yeah. They're my favorite duo. Yeah. I said Brienne and Podrick. That's a good one. That's a good one. I went with Jamie and Cersei. Really? Oh. I'll tell you, because first of all, I was, I was trying to think, <laughs> I was trying to think, first of all, is there a loving, there have been a number of loving couples in the show. There's not a single one that didn't end up with at least one of them dead, right? At least they're, in this case, they died together. At least, but in this case, first of all, they lasted longer than anybody else. Well, any other couple, They yeah. didn't, no, nobody murdered the other. As cradle in, to grave, literally. <laughs> exactly, cradle. <laughs> very much so. Womb to tomb. Oh. Oh. But yeah, if you think about it, uh, two couples, uh, Tyrion and Shay. Tyrion kills Shay. John and Danny. John kills Danny. So on the scale of Game of Thrones romantic relationships, Cersei and Jaime at least were together to the end. <sighs> That's disgusting. <laughs> but also they are kind of that couple in high school, right? That's like too intense. Yeah. That might be what yeah, get called out in your book is like, that's yeah, true. they're yeah. together. Okay, they are yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> and usually okay. that's such a positive thing. Right? Yeah. No. Uh, life of the party. Trisha oh, I went with Lady Olena. Nice. Because she will have her cheese and she will have it now. Yeah. She it will. will be served when she wants. What do you I, got, Peter? I went with Sir Dantos because he worked so hard Aww. during his brief brief job as a jester. He, you know, I, I, and I've been there. I've been there in front of a crowd. Nobody's laughing, but you keep doing it anyway. So I wanted to throw him a little bone. Nice. I chose Tormund. He's fun to have around. Nasty has goat's milk. Oh, it's really worst. something. He really is bad at drinking out of cups and you horns, know, though, without getting it all it, over and his I face. I respect that. That's the kind of person who, like, you don't want to invite him to a party at your house. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. no. You could go to his house. Yeah, but, like, he's going to wreck your carpet. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. When Tormund comes to say goodbye to your cleaning deposit, Ugh. it's gone. Uh, most changed. Ooh, that's very thoughtful. <laughs> I, I don't, well, I mean, the obvious answer is Sansa. Yeah, that's right. I but I wanted to get away from that, so I couldn't decide, but I'm just going to say, not Danny. Okay. Yeah. What do you have? I went with the Hound or Peter. Peter Segel? This, yeah, this Why? Peter. Because I feel like you've really learned from the patriarchy jingles over I the years. Have, that's actually really nice, Trisha. I wish we had a little award. For me. For this. Man what would it mean like in the end of Wizard of Oz where you give me like a diploma that's like I'm really smart? You'd yeah, give me like yeah. something to prove that I've, I've learned about the patriarchy? Less annoying comments. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, there's still some, but well, I think there are fewer than there were in the beginning. I have to stay on brand, Greta. <laughs> but the hound, you know, we, we meet him as like a total, you know, bloodthirsty mercenary true, who runs yeah. down the baker's boy, and then he ends by basically saving Arya's life yeah. and convincing her to walk away. So I think that that character and the, that relationship is one of my favorites. Okay, what about most likely to succeed? Well, it's got to be Bran, right? And you know he's going to figure out a way to have kids anyway. <laughs> he's not going to let a mere sort of spinal injury stop him. I went with Arya Stark because yeah. the capacity to steal faces, yeah. which was not used enough in the show, one yes. of my continuous gripes, there uh-huh. is some knee-slapping in the audience of agreement, and I appreciate it. <laughs> that, that... Because it's oh, a wow. Yes. Yeah. It was a fantastic thing that she worked really hard to be able to do, and then she only got to do it once. So yeah. I hope she well, gets to do it twice. a bunch more times. Yeah, true. Yeah, she, she did it once to right. kill Walter Marin, Frey, and yeah, then she no, yeah, killed yeah. everybody else using Walter Frey. I think the realm is most likely to succeed. Oh, that's Aww. optimistic. Right? Really? You think that Bran is going to be a, a wise and benevolent yeah. king, and Sansa is going to rule the north yeah. in a Yeah, I think that was way. the whole deal, right? And yeah. the wildlings get to chill with Jon. They're, like, they're gonna be, everybody every, wins. Everybody's cool. Yeah. You know something's going to go wrong. Well, maybe not, though. Like, maybe we can just let it be exactly what it is, and that's totally fine, you know? Absolutely. More from our Game of Thrones series recap, recorded live at the Apple Store in Chicago, right after this break. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Uh, Spinoffs. Trisha, what's spinoff news? Yeah. Do you know it? So I've been, I've been reading the internets, as I do. Yeah. Um, the head of HBO seems the most sort of uh, assuring that one of the prequels will happen. It's been sort of ordered up to pilot. Um, they say they're taking their time. Naomi Watts is attached. It's supposedly set very, very long ago in the same world that we know from the books. Um, many other things have been talked about as being in development. George R. R. Martin has said there are several projects that are moving along quite nicely, but uh, those are in earlier stages of development. And in the most recent sort of post-finale episode with the head of HBO, they did talk about the fact that they want to give the prequel like space to breathe and not just bombard people with like four more shows about Game of Thrones and, and try to milk it. Um, well, and they were also pretty clear that they're not doing anything with Arya. There's, yeah, there's not like Arya in the Americas or anything Aria like that. Arya goes west. Yeah. Like Feifel goes west? Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Is it a musical? So you that. would watch a, a prequel, right? Yeah, I would absolutely give it a try. And I'm also excited that the success of the show has spawned so many other potential things yeah, in development. Totally. So like there's a giant list of those. Yes, yes. We'll get to that. Peter, would you watch a prequel? I'm going to. You're going to. Whether I want to or not, I'm going to. So before we get to other shows, I think we should talk a little bit about the books because we're in this very interesting situation where the TV series is over. We had eight seasons. The book series was supposed to be seven books. We have five. The last one came out in 2011. George R. R. Martin has written books since. He published a very hefty history of the Targaryens, which came out just about six months ago. That right. nobody asked for. Yes. <laughs> nobody asked people for. apparently enjoyed. So what do you think? I, you know, if you had asked me two years ago, I would have said he had no incentive to finish the books. No. Given the success of the TV series. No, he has no incentive. And I have changed my mind since. But How so? Well, you, are you part of the school that believes that since... Benioff and Weiss, quote, screwed up the ending, unquote. No. But now Martin has this incentive to show us all how it's done. I mean, done. I do think he has more of an incentive to write them because fans are so dissatisfied. I don't, I, I don't think Benioff and Weiss, like, screwed it up. But I do think, you know, I think there are a lot of people... I mean, we even got listener emails saying, well, this didn't... We don't know for sure if this happened because it's not canon. Right. You know, I mean, the book nerds are still the book nerds. God bless them. And God bless us. I was recently hanging out with a friend who owns a bookstore here in town, and she's got this amazing Plug theory. 
it's called Volumes. It's in Wicker Park. It's amazing. Rebecca, I hope she doesn't mind that I'm outing her, but I'm doing it. She thinks that he has already written the books and HBO asked him not to publish them. You know that he addressed that on his yeah, blog. And he, but said, I mean, he said, why would I do that? And he also, said, if that was true, this week would have been when we would have found out a release date for at least the sixth, if not both the sixth and seventh books. I don't know. So this conspiracy theory is officially dead. I just love it so much. I'm yeah. not giving up on it yet. I think uh, there's still a possibility. I, it would I don't be, think he's ever going to finish it. Uh, the thing is, like, what about the people 20 years from now who start reading the books and then, what, like, if they want to know what happens, they have to watch this 20-year-old TV show that I'm sure is just going to seem super dated by I'm then? I'm sorry for them, but I don't think he's <laughs> ever going to write it. I, I mean, here's the thing, and yeah. th this comes from mainly my own experience of being a writer back when I was writing plays. And in order, first of all, there... There's so many more fun things to do than write. <laughs> and George R. R. Martin can spend his day giving interviews, enjoying his money, attending panels <laughs> where people applaud, getting awards. All of those things are so much more fun than writing. And the second, he runs a movie theater, he produces yeah, TV he's shows. There's be meow shit yeah. all the time. A general right. pattern, it's, I mean, there are people like Stephen King who never fall trapped with this, but other people like, you know, there are screenwriters who become producers because it's so much more fun to produce than actually try to write stuff. But the other problem is, and, and I've experienced this, when you sit down to write fiction, you have to shut everything out and let the characters tell you what they're gonna do. And that's very much what he did. Right. He, as we all remember, had been, he had been a fiction writer his whole life. He went out to Hollywood, he worked on TV, he wrote on Beauty and the Beast. In fact, he has a cameo, I was watching it, and like, there he was. Um, and then he got really frustrated because he kept wanting to do these things and the TV executives said, oh, we can't afford it. We can't have a big battle, we can't have horses, what are you talking about? So he said, fuck it, and he went back home to Santa Fe and he basically shut the door and he just went inside his mind to his own world and he found his characters and he wrote them exactly the way he wanted and that's basically the first three books. How in the world can you go back to that space? When Tyrion isn't yours anymore, he's the world, yeah. and he's Peter Dinklage, <laughs> and he's David Benioff, he's Benioff and Weiss's. I, yeah. mean, I mean, there's no way, I mean, like, the, 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 one of my biggest disappointments in life was reading the novel Hannibal, which was the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Which you loved Silence of the Lambs. I love Silence of the Lambs. I think it's one of the greatest books ever written in terms of like its technical precision and expertise. You it's assigned amazing. that as homework on I your debt. It's when really, we interviewed you, what was that, like, like five 2, years ago? Like 2,700 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a great book, and I was so <laughs> excited, and, and I bought it in hardcover, and I read it, and it was terrible. And I think one the of the reasons was... it was terrible was because Thomas Harris was saying, fuck you, to the entire world that thought they knew his character, and therefore he made his characters do ridiculous things. Sure. Like, in the end of the novel Hannibal, Clarice Starling marries Hannibal Lecter. Veto. Which, yes. <laughs> and it was clear that that was such a reaction to the, to the fact that he had become this iconic character, and Thomas Harris was like, I'm gonna show you who yeah. owns this character. And I think that's impossible to avoid if you're someone like George R. R. Martin. And I think it'll be easier just not to do it. Fair enough. He's got thousands of pages written, it sounds like, though. It's just a matter of, you know, I mean, <laughs> as somebody who, by trade, edits other people, yeah. I'm gonna say he needs a good editor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, like, to expect him alone, he's joked about sort of, like, his staff chaining him to a typewriter and making him eat healthy foods because he's, like, not yeah. a young man and <laughs> people are counting on him to do I, this work. I, I should say, and this is because I'm no longer the patriarchal asshole I used to, there's another oh. person who avoided this trap very skillfully and bravely, and that was J.K. Rowling. Right. Because yeah. the movies were coming out before she was finished with the novels, and yet she stayed to her vision right. the whole way through. Well, and, you know, I and think... And she had a clear yeah, and she sort knew of what was truly charted. Yes. I think that helped a yeah. lot. Yeah. I think also, I mean, she escaped a lot of that by writing under a pseudonym after Harry Potter was over, yes. too. Yes, and completely changing you know? genres, yeah. which yeah. is also and true. Those are she, I mean, excellent. she's never... I mean, so I want to talk about the different shows that are optioned, because there's a whole bunch of them, but first I want to recommend... Speaking of book series, two series, they are both trilogies. They have been completed. They are amazing. One is called the Broken Earth Trilogy. It's by N.K. Jemisin. I read the first book. It's she very, very good. She won the Hugo Award for each of the three books in that series because she is so goddamn good. She is smart. The second series I'd like to recommend is called the Shades of Magic series. It's by V.E. Schwab. 
And she recently like just was hanging out with Neil Gaiman this week. If you need to know her nerd cred, she is awesome. There's a lady pirate. It's amazing. You're going to love it. Read them. And they're complete, so you cannot... They're complete. There are three books. Yep. They exist in the world. There are great audiobooks. I'm, I'm going to recommend... I recommended this, actually... I don't remember if it was on Nerdette or it was on this podcast. But I recently picked them up and started rereading them because I was afraid... I had recommended them to a friend, and I was afraid, are they as good as I remember? They are. Uh, the Patrick O'Brien novels about the early British Navy with Aubrey and Maturin are fantastic. Wait, that's what our friend Al Keefe likes, yeah, right? Yeah, one of our dearest friends is obsessed with those yes, books. Yes, they fantastically good. He actually just asked me if I would do a podcast about those, and I was like, isn't that like boats and stuff? It's I boats and stuff, but it's like... It's so fantastically good. The, I mean, the writing and the character. I mean, and there are what way. dozens of those. Yeah, There's that's twenty-three. The thing. There yeah. are dozens of us. Yeah, but they're <laughs> they're 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 fantastically good, and they're good in some somewhat of the same way that Game of Thrones or anything we all love is, is that the characters seem real, in a way that characters in fiction don't often. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the TV shows. Yes, because I'm not likely to read any of those, as you know. Right. Right. There's too much to read on the internet. We can't stop with books. Yes. I read the internet, and then I watch the television, and then I read the internet about the television. Uh, So Amazon, again, has ordered up several of these sort of beloved series to TV shows. The one that is probably, is either going to be the greatest or the biggest disappointment is the Lord of the Rings show. Yeah. So are they doing the trilogy story? So they're not doing the story. They're doing sort of... Uh, new fiction set in the second age of Middle Earth. Right. I don't know how I feel about that one. Well, I'm going to suspend my judgment. Of Brian? course, I'm thinking, I know, yeah, I know the second age. Yeah. Well, okay. and they're also doing that Wheel of Time series, right? Yes. Well, I will say, though, about the Lord of the Rings series that Brian Cogman, who's one of the head writers and, and producers. You know, producers from Game of Thrones, just signed on recently oh, to the Lord of the Rings show. So that's a good sign. Dang. And then the Dark Tower series right. from oh, the King yeah. books has also been ordered up by Amazon. And then the Wheel of Time series. Again, Amazon's sort of placing at least three big bets which on this Which is what, genre. Robert Jordan, Yeah, right? the yeah. Robert Jordan books. There's like 16 of those, which just feels like too many. And famously, he died before he finished, which huh. is why everybody's so freaked about George R. R. Martin. Uh, there's no guarantee that any of those are going to be any good. Right. Well, yeah, there's no guarantee that anything's ever going to be good. That's true. That's the delight of well, I think living in the world. Well, I think there is a guarantee that his oh. Dark Materials is going to be good because it has Lin-Manuel Miranda in yeah, it. Yeah, he's playing Lee Scoresby. I'm yeah. so yeah. excited about uh, that. I'm, I, just, I just don't want to get my heart broken because my heart was broken so badly by that terrible movie. Well, yeah, but, you know, that was a long time ago. The, yeah. the source material is good. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. But have you guys read His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman? So this is another trilogy. The first one is called The Golden Compass. It's a YA series. It came out in, like, I think the first one came out yes. in 95. Yeah, my favorite thing. It's fantastically good oh, by a British so author named good. Philip Pullman with one of the most amazing heroine of all time, Lyra of Oxford. Yes. But the great thing about it is, remember, you guys look, some of you look old enough, when Harry Potter was being published, there was this reaction among the evangelical Christian community oh, saying yeah. it's satanic. <laughs> Just I actually lived next materials. to uh, a charismatic Christian family, and this daughter loved Harry Potter, and then one day she didn't talk about Harry Potter anymore because her mother decided they were satanic, which was bullshit because Harry Potter is not satanic. His Dark Materials is satanic. Yeah, yeah. For real, Satan, like angels and all that angel, good stuff. There's, like, God is the villain, and Satan is the hero. And, you know, it's not immediately apparent, but that's the case. And I just love the fact that the people who go on about those things were too dumb to realize that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're also getting a Narnia show from Netflix. Yes. And the Kingkiller Chronicles. The Kingkiller Chronicles, produced by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, so maybe music in this show. That could be very exciting. These are the Patrick Rothfuss books. And that's also an incomplete series. Bless you. Yeah, and pa- Patrick Rothfuss, who I've met, I there don't know. There are two if he, of those. Patrick Rothfuss has gotten really into being famous as well. Yeah. So I don't know if he's ever going to finish. There's also the Netflix is doing the uh, the Netflix. Netflix is doing The Witcher, which I don't know anything about except that it's a video game that people like. It was novels first, then oh, it became a okay. video game, and now it's going to be a TV series. And Netflix is also doing an Arthurian legend situation oh. called Cursed, which I think sounds kind of cool. Yeah. I like King Arthur stuff. Well, I am most excited about his Dark Materials in oh, part because sure. it's like imminent and actually happening. Yeah. Some of these other things but are we don't in know development. They haven't totally. given a release date yet. But 2019. 2019 they say so probably later this year right okay 
I mean, th there have actually already been some sword and sorcery or medieval set TV series that have come and gone already totally. because of Game of Thrones. Because it's really hard to do, especially if you think that dragons or magic or swords or guys in armor is going to be the secret to your success, because it's just not. Yeah. So what do you think? Should we do some audience questions? Yeah. Do you all I have so. questions yes. you want to ask us? Questions or comments? And if you have a question or a comment, I'm definitely looking for recommendations for how to fill the Game of Thrones-shaped hole in my heart. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try to read some books. There's somebody right here in front. I would just like to comment about the pronunciation of oh. Sansa. Uh-huh. Am I getting it wrong? Say it with me. Sansa. Sansa. And I say Sansa. Yeah. This I think is because, I might too, actually. This is because I'm from New Jersey. I just want to tell you, I'll just... <laughs> say it pointless. with me. My, my wife... My wife, who I just married and we're deeply in love, her name is Mara, M-A-R-A, -A, and I call her Mara all the time. In fact, <laughs> this is a true a story. But you correct us. The patriarchy speaking, so ladies be quiet. Peter Sagal is the worst. I don't do it intentionally. <laughs> well, you didn't say that. I mean, I don't like do it to torment her. I do it because I'm a dork. I mean, the true story, on the day I proposed, she fainted, dead away. And I'm standing there on a beach with an engagement ring in my pocket going, Mara, Mara? <laughs> and she says she came back from like the realm like before she crossed the border into the land of the dead just to correct me. It's like, it's Mara, you son of a bitch. And so now She's we're great. And yes, <laughs> we love her. All right, our next question is from Scott. Hey, Scott. Hi, uh, I just wanted to have a, a, a suggest another show. Uh, next month, Netflix is going to be showing Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, wow. Which is a critically acclaimed anime series. Yeah. The Game of Thrones connection is that the last two episodes were so universally hated that they replaced them with a movie. Wow, no, really? I forgot yeah. about so, that. So the movie sort of picks up where like nice. the third to last episode and finishes it again yes, in a different the, the way? the movie is literally split into episodes 25 and 26. Damn. And so this is, an, this is an anime series from Japan? Yes. And so they've translated into, into English, English yes. and wow, that's weird. What an insightful Is the show good? Is it worth watching? I've heard it's great. Uh, well, I, I love giant monsters. Wow. Okay. All right. That's a fascinating. That is fascinating. Good rec. Do we have other questions? Oh, Got here. another question up here, <clears throat> also from Scott. Oh, hey, Scott. Thank you, Scott, for attending. <laughs> what, what's the genesis of this Peter Sagal patriarchal, patriarchal thing? Oh, what? So You mean other than the patriarchy? <laughs> yeah, I uh, guess. I'm how did it start? I mean, for, uh, for reasons lost in memory, I was the guy who commissioned them. Yeah. Because right. Paul and Storm are good friends of mine, and I called them up and I said, could you do this first? But I don't remember why, what led to that. I mean, we got some early anecdotal feedback <laughs> and some early... Uh, Apple Podcast reviews uh -huh. that said uh, for people who were fans of the show Nerd at Proper, which was the two of us talking often with other women, but also with men as guests, that you know we had ceded perhaps too much of the conversation to the man who well, had joined us for these recaps, and right. so as a you know very uh, intentionally feminist show, our fans were worried that we were letting Peter talk too much. Well, because partly what it was was that we put it in the first, when we recapped season five, we put it in the Nerdette podcast feed. And we didn't, we weren't super clear about like, hey guys, Nerdette is still a thing where we talk to people and do fun, cool, feministy things. And so then all of a sudden, Peter just showed up and talked at us about Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I think especially in those early episodes, we were still a little awestruck, like, oh my God, this is Peter Sagal. He, you know, like I grew quickly. up, I did get over, we did get over <laughs> that quickly. But yeah, you know, like here we were, we grew up listening to Wait, Wait, and he's like in the studio next to us. And it's like, yeah, of course, we'll let you talk. That's fine. You I know? have a vague memory of somebody actually, I don't remember who it was, it was probably Trisha, saying we need like some sort of jingle to play when you oh, get all patriarchal. I bet, that was, I bet it was Trisha's It was something idea. like that. It's and the then, sort of thing you would you, say. And then you had friends who <laughs> made said, it real. What a great yeah, idea. Yeah. And, and then I, once we had them, we were drunk with power. Well, I mean, I also remember very distinctly being in the WBEZ staff kitchen and chatting with Miles Dornboss, who yeah. is a producer for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell yeah. Me. And he said, and it was very early days, and he just said, you know, Peter is at his best when he's in the corner. And, and I think... What did he mean by that? <laughs> like, you, you can be very charming when we make fun of you, and otherwise you're kind of obnoxious, <laughs> is how I took that. You know? It's like, that's when you're your best, is when... 
I think we're you're mocking just, you. I, I just I took it to mean that you've been that. that you've been conditioned by Paula Poundstone for years yeah. to right, take yeah. a lot of sass. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know? I do. I do enjoy it. I and have so, to say. And, I, and I think the patriarchy jingle was sort of like the first device that we were able to use to before I was comfortable enough, just like mercilessly mocking you. You know, yeah, know. they're just meant for a little bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great question. You know, I'm going I'm to suggest to Paul and Storms, and so many people liked them. That they custom they they decustomize them and do versions without my name people or have references asked for to that. me, <laughs> so that people can use them in any social situation yeah. where you need one. Right. Yeah. I have called one be on fun. myself before, so like they can be used in a gender neutral way of if course. you really yeah. want for sure. to. They, you know, be, we've but, all but, embodied the patriarchy yes. in our own ways. <laughs> How many minutes has it been since Peter's mentioned Harvard? What the colossal tool? <laughs> That man is a friend of mine. Oh, that one is really harsh. That one is really harsh. Anybody else? We have one back here from Carson. Awesome. Hey, guys. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> hey, you, are, you are a staff member. Yes, that's true. I uh, see the green shirt on you. Not anymore. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, okay. off the clock. Exactly. Fair enough. Um, okay, so I know we kind of already talked about this, but, you know, last episode, Tyrion's got that line where he's like, Ask me again in 10 years. Oh, yes. yeah. Do you think you're going to pull a Twin Peaks in like 10 years? Zip like, forward? Yeah, Whoa. come on, guys. Let's get it back. The gang's back together. No. I hope not. Yeah, I think, I, I think that was actually, that was in a problematic ending. That was one of my favorite bits because he's right. There's no way of knowing. You know, is this going to work out? Would, you know, better than Danny would have worked out with her reign of terror? I don't know. So it seemed like a very kind of strangely realistic ending for a TV show. I mean, it's also kind of a self-aware way of being like, we have no idea. Like, we gave it our best shot, and we hope you like it. Here you go. It's also a show that's so vast that it's a little harder to reboot than, like, Friends or Will and Grace, which are set in like a soundstage yeah. that's very simple that's very uh, to get the band me. back together. We, we need to borrow Northern Ireland yeah. again. Yeah. How about those ruins? Any other questions? We have one from Steve. Hey, Steve. So my question is: is if you could change perhaps one thing within the you know the final or final portion of the season, um, whether it be in the production or the plot or anything like that. Um, what would it be and, and why? Uh, I, I want that's a great the question. Night King to have a Bond villain-esque monologue where we find out what his deal was. I mean, what? I don't want that because it actually what? would have not been better than what yeah, happened in the show, but trash. I desperately wanted In your mind, that to Trisha, what, what might that monologue have been like? Oh, it would have been terrible, but at least then we would have known what the point of the White Walkers but were. But can you suppose a point? Can you say, I think that he was interested in... Do you know? I don't know. Okay, you and just, that's you why just I'm so angry. But, the, the, but they're, you know, the fact that they were stealing babies. Why, if they didn't have a culture or a civilization? Well, they were making White Walkers. That seemed pretty obvious. Why? Why did he need more White Walkers if he just used the army of the dead to create destruction? Why did he need like peers? Why didn't you have he... to have someone to talk to? Well, so there's something more than we know about him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can't imagine what they talked about. Yeah, these guys smell. Gotta have somebody to play poker with? Like, why did he, you know, there's yeah. things that are unanswered. I, I, I gave mine in the last podcast, briefly, I oh, thought right. John should die. I thought that there's that whole thing of, like, why did they leave John alive when they just executed some prisoners for something much less offensive than killing the queen? And I think the answer to that dilemma was that John kills Danny knowingly at the cost of his own life. Uh, because he knows he's not going to survive having done that, and I suggested a dramatic way to do that. Uh, and I found out, I'm going to brag, Ira Glass wrote to me and said, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> and I'm like, Ira Glass listens to the... Anyway, um, so yeah, because I think that what it lacked was a sacrifice, somebody doing something incredibly selfless. Which, is what, which I think provides for good endings in general. And we talked about this a little bit too. I think one element of that, even if he hadn't died, was if we were actually convinced that John and Danny loved each other, that would that also... That ship had sailed, though. I mean, obviously, that ship, good one. But yeah, I think if, if they had really seemed like they actually loved each other and he still knew that she was crazy and he had to kill her, I think that would have been a lot more powerful yeah. too. But they tried so hard to sell that, especially if you went, I rewatched season seven before this season, and there are so many beats in that season that were all oh about, look what Danny's doing for John, look what John's doing for Danny, look how they're establishing trust, look how they're establishing intimacy, look how they're looking at each other, look how cute they are, of course they're going to fall in love. Yeah. And I didn't buy it for a second. Which is, you know, I think, 
you've seen Fleabag, right? Oh, Have yeah, I haven't seen, seen both season two. You yet, haven't but... seen season two? So it's, Fleabag is this excellent show uh, written and starring this woman named Phoebe Waller-Bridge. There are six episodes in the second season, and each one is half an hour long, and she ends up entangled in this relationship with someone. Don't spoil it. And that's all I'll say about it. But, like, the sexual tension is so intense. And it's over three hours. And it's, you know, it, it was just interesting to watch it right after finishing Game of Thrones yeah, because, because it's it, like, it be oh, done. it is possible. And it's not that, like, you don't... It feels like something that we're told a lot in radio journalism, which is show, don't tell. And I felt like they kept trying to tell us that John and Danny were in love with each other, but exactly. we were never actually shown Because they, they needed it to happen, and it didn't happen yeah, organically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing I would change, I've already complained about, which is Jamie and Brienne. Yeah. I think, you know, like, so much about this show over the course of the, set, of the eight seasons is, it's about relationships. The friends we make along the, the way. The friends we make along the way, and I... Yeah, I think they could have... If those two had been different, I would have been a lot more emotionally invested, I think. But everybody should watch Fleabag, by the way. Yeah, Fleabag. <laughs> Fleabag is astoundingly good. And if you liked Killing Eve, yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge wrote season one of Killing Eve. And Fleabag is better. It is. And it turns High out praise. Killing Eve is based on some books, which are not bad either. I've been no. re- listening to those. Okay. <laughs> okay. For No, I'm... <laughs> it's not a dismissive okay. <laughs> Any other questions? Is that it? Well, thanks all of you. Thanks, for everybody. Thank you all for coming out. We'll see you when Judy can think of something else to talk about. Oh my God, I can't believe it's over, though I have to admit, as you're probably unsurprised to hear, I am a bit relieved about it. Anyway, if you love this show, you should try out Nerdette. Peter isn't in it at all. You're probably going to love it. You could start with an episode with author Margaret Atwood. She is a bad bitch. And hey, we have a pretty fun newsletter. You can sign up for it on our Facebook page. There's a blue sign up button. Just click on that and put your little email address in there. The show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Special thanks to Nora Semmel and all the employees at the Apple Store on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And an epic Westerosi high five to Paul and Storm. They are the creators of the amazing patriarchy jingles, and we are so glad they exist in the world. As a special thanks to them, we're going to play every single patriarchy jingle they have ever made. You're welcome. The wisdom of the ages, wrapped up in the body of a short, bald game show host. Blah, 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 whatever. Peter, nobody cares. He's the best Jewish male public radio host when you can't afford Ira Glass. How many minutes has it been since Peter's mentioned Harvard? What a colossal tool. He's Rhaegar in the streets and Paris in the sheets. He's Peter Sagal. Gather around and listen while old Peter Sagal mansplains this show to you. Nobody cares, but it never really stops him. Is Peter still fucking talking? If Peter's opinion falls in the forest, does anybody give a shit? Everybody quiet, cause Peter Sagal's got another goddamn opinion. I can't believe that I'm about to say these words aloud. I agree with Peter. The rhetorical equivalent of stray cat vomit. Peter Sagal's thoughts on art. The patriarchy speaking, so ladies be quiet. Peter Sagal is the worst. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.